Hey folks, welcome to Over 50 Starting Over, and today I am joined by Sherry Dunleavy. Yeah, most people may remember her as a TV and radio show personality and nightly news anchor. Now though, through a series of events that we'll discuss, after the age of 50, she's totally reinvented her life. She is the author of How Can I Help? Your Go-To Guide for Helping Loved Ones Through Life's Difficulties. Sherry also has an online course called Graduating Grief, where she helps people not just heal from tragedy, but find joy in their lives again. The interview itself is an interesting journey with her, and it's an inspirational story of positive transformation from grief. I hope you enjoy it, and please sign up at Over 50 Starting Over. Like and share the video or uh, YouTube video. And please give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. There we go. Hello, Sherry. How are you this morning? Barry, I'm great. Thank you. Good. Hey, guys. I am with Sherry Dunleavy. Most people may remember her as TV and radio personality Sherry McCutcheon, host of Jamboree in the Hills or The Broadcast get it, on WKKX AM 1600, or as nightly news anchor on NBC WTOV9. Now, at after age 50, she's totally reinvented herself. That's why she's here. Share us a uh, little inspiration with us. She's since authored the book, How Can I Help? Your go-to guide for helping loved ones through life's difficulties. Sherry wrote it to help others reach out to friends when they are going through tragedies and difficulties in life. So you've had a pretty exciting uh, first couple chapters of your life here. Yeah. So you started out as a TV and radio personality. I mean, that's really exciting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like what age was this? What got you into it? And how was it? I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to go to college and, um, had some friends that were at Kent State and went My up to visit mater. them and sat in on that's your alma mater. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah, can't read, can't write, can't write, can't do math. That's that's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I sat in on a television class and they were doing practicing uh doing commercials, and all of a sudden I'm like oh my gosh, I didn't even know, like you could choose that as a major and you could do that for a living. And, um, I immediately enrolled. That's where I was going to go. And, um, I, I, you know, got very involved in the television stations on campus and the local PBS station, and then interned, uh, my summers at a television station. And so it was just something that I was hyper-focused on and that's all I ever wanted to do. Wow. And um, so I had a great career in it. But during that time, 16, 15 years in, um, you know, my audience like watched me grow. They, I, I literally came out of college and a month later, I had a job 50, wow. 25 miles from my hometown. Before we leave college, I want to just mention that my usual co-host Merle he did a show at Kent. That's where we met. We were roommates. Really? He did a show at Kent, one of their local shows or whatever. And I was on one of those episodes. Really? Yeah. It's a small world. Yes, and, it is. Where do you live now? I forget. I live in Wheeling, West Virginia. Oh, okay. When mm -hmm. you were doing the broadcasting, was it not Southern Ohio? Um, it, Southern Ohio is where the television station is. West mm. Virginia kind of looks like this. Mm -hmm. you know, like this is what the state looks like. 
put it around this way. I live up here. So Pittsburgh's here and Ohio's here. Okay. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I grew up in Eastern Ohio and, um, I worked in Steubenville, Ohio, which is the Steubenville Wheeling, West Virginia That's market. Thinking. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so everything is really, really close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Within a 25 mile radius. So where did you start as soon as you got out? You said one month. I started, after. Well, I when I was in college, I worked at the West Virginia station in Wheeling, West Virginia. When I graduated, they didn't have room for me at the end. <laughs> and so I, 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 I got a position at the, the Ohio station in Steubenville. Okay. And that's what, where we that? work to bring that station to number one. Nice. Listen to you. Um, do you mind if I share a couple photos I may or may not have found online? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I find this all pretty fascinating. Um, so you started out in Steubenville at the station you brought to number one, which was that in your bio, I mentioned a couple of things. So right. TV. Did you start in TV or radio? I started in TV. Okay. I ended in radio. I see. Which is really weird. Most people start yeah. in radio and go to TV. I've I would have thought. I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us about this photo? Can you see it? This must be when you were co-anchoring. Well, that's when I got my, yeah, that's when I, yeah, at the age of 23. So I worked uh, for one year as the weather person um, back with the magnetic clouds and fronts and all oh. of that before technology, you know, took off. Yes. And that was me with Red Donnelly, who is literally a legend in um, broadcasting. Oh, nice. And um, and so here he was at the tail end of his career, and I was at the smack dab at the beginning of mine. It was a it was really a wonderful. I love that man. I love that. Well, I bet that was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had to be. It had to be so exciting. I have a just a couple more. Is this Marie Osmond? Yes, and she is <laughs> literally standing on a box. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and I and please be descriptive because most people are listening rather than watching. Yeah. So. She's standing on a box. There's a picture of us. I was um, a very big part of the Children's Miracle Network telethon. I had done that for oh. years and she and John Schneider were the co-founders. Oh. So this was taken in Salt Lake City um, right at the beginning of when they started that. So are you that tall or is she that short? Well, I had heels on. I'm I'm about five eight, and then with heels, so oh, I was right. probably close to six five eleven there. And she's very short. Oh, okay. I, I did. And she was wearing that. flat boots then. Oh, and there's okay. Rich Little. He was one of the entertainers. Oh, that's there. Rich Little. I loved him. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. But if you don't know who he is, he was a, a comedian, very much known for his impressions. Right. And I got one or two more. Now that's my that's my buddy Ken Kadar, and that's where we were um, emceeing the uh, cerebral palsy telethon when they had a telethon, and he was a, a dear friend of mine, and um, we would actually carpool to work occasionally. Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. And this one, I recognize the guy on on my right. Yes, uh, Tom Brokaw. That's his name. I couldn't think of his yes. name. Yes. Yeah, what am I this thinking? This was a promotion shoot up in New York City at NBC. Oh, okay. And um, so they brought la- the anchor team in from the local stations to do promos for the nightly news, which would run directly after your right. local news. 
Okay, so he sits there and a whole bunch of different local people yes. come in. Yeah, yeah I understand. Cattle I always wondered, <laughs> always wondered how that happened. So how long did this illustrious career uh, last? I, I anchored the news um, at, for 16 years full time. Oh, okay. And what was it like being a local celebrity? Uh, it was interesting. Because um, you were in relatively small towns. Yes, you had to yes. be recognized every time you went out, grocery shopping or anything. I did. And, you know, you know it was a small town. So everybody knows anybody, everybody, right, anyhow, right. right? In a small community. But I just remember that was, a, I, I did a lot of work with Jamboree USA and Jamboree in the Hills. So a lot of the country music stars. And that was when um, Garth Brooks um, broke out. And I just kept mm. thinking, oh my gosh, like I can barely handle the fame and the notoriety in Wheeling, West Virginia. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for a national celebrity. Sure. I was uncomfortable with it. I was I was grateful for it because that meant people were watching, mm -hmm. but I'm an introvert by nature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, small talk is very challenging for me because I like to mm -hmm. dig deep. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, making small talk with people that you don't know. I was kind, tried, tried to be kind, but I was quite uncomfortable with it. No, I totally understand that. I say that too. And I think introvert gets thrown around a lot by people that really are misusing it. But the thing is, is if you get your batteries recharged and be either alone or just with your partner or with your small mm -hmm. group of friends, you're an introvert. You yes. know, and so to go out and have to be doing this kind of being on and uh, doing the surface talk all the time had to be exhausting. It was. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. I, you know what? I mean, I, I tried to be gracious with it. They, they call it a professional introvert. Like you can be mm. extroverted when you need to be. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was. It was. But it, you know. It is it, what it is. And I'm grateful for all of it. <laughs> I'm sure it took me a, a long time, but I learned social skills. And, yeah. and I basically, in a nutshell, I've talked about on the podcast before, it's listening. It's active listening. So you ask somebody a question and then they go, oh my God, this person's interested in me. And so they tell you something and then you ask a follow-up question based on what they just told you. Oh my God, they're listening to me. And, and then they think you're the best conversationalist ever. And you're an extrovert. It's a it's it's that easy. It really is. It is. And the funny thing is, is I made a living of asking questions. So it misled a lot of people. But I was in control yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah, totally get that. Totally get that. <laughs> All right. So how did things transpire? Why did you leave your career, which sounded absolutely dynamic and fun? And um, I'm not sure what came first? I know how your life has unfolded. I've done my research, but I'm trying to lay it out there for the listener. Okay. I'm not sure what came next. Well, like I said, you know, the, my audience watched me grow up. They, they, um, there were pictures of my engagement on the television. Um, there were, uh, cameras at my wedding. Uh, after I gave birth to my son, Trey, the cameras were there with the whole wow. news team holding him. You know, I mean, it was, they were a part of my life. And so when I was pregnant with my second son, um, we had challenges from the very first ultrasound that we had. Um, we knew that there were a lot of challenges, which takes me back to the Children's Miracle Network because I 
made friends with some of the the highest profile uh, pediatric physicians <laughs> in the country, right? From all the work that I had done with that telethon. So when I called uh, my friend who was the chief of pediatrics at WVU Children's Hospital at the time and told him what they told me, that, that our baby had something called a diaphragmatic hernia, I was expecting him to say, okay, here's our game plan. This is what we're going to do. You're going to be here, blah, 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 blah. And instead the phone got silent and it scared me. And he said, Oh, this is, this one's a tough one. And there were really no good answers. Um, So I spent much of that pregnancy. It was a high risk pregnancy and much of it was spent um, traveling to different children's hospitals, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Morgantown, trying to come up with a game plan to save our baby. Sure. And is it kind of rare, this diaphragmatic uh, hernia? I've never heard of it. It's, um, it, it it is rare. Usually it's genetic in our case, it wasn't. So it's, it's so, it's so strange. And at the time, what they told us were the statistics were that the mortality rate had not changed any since 1942, Oh my you God. know? So, and, and for boys, which this was a boy, our son, Brandon, um, it was, it was not good news. You know, it was uh, the, 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 the deck was stacked against him. Basically, yeah. More girls, uh, survived this than boys. Mm. Um, in fact, I've never met a boy, um, personally I've, 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 made friends with some people whose children had it and lived still lived. Some didn't make it too long. Um, but it was, um, it was challenging. And the, the whole thing was, is that it, what it is in a nutshell is the diaphragm doesn't seal off the chest organs from the abdominal organs. So uh-huh. his abdominal organs all grew up in his chest. So his heart was pushed to the right side. His lungs were growing on the right side. His, you know, every, his stomach, his intestine, everything was up in his chest cavity. So we were trying to figure out, do we have the surgery to pull it all out and repair it in utero? Or do we wait till after he is born? And the problem with that is that some of the other organs because they don't have room to grow, mm-hmm. you know, aren't up to their full potential. Oh, sure. So my son lived 29 days and um, had the surgery. It was successful, but um, his organs just started shutting down. Oh, it was, oh. It was just awful. Um, yeah. And um, and so I tried to, you know, I, I, you're not thinking in grief. You're not thinking in grief. And literally the thought was, I don't have a baby. I shouldn't be using this maternity leave. I should go back to work. Mm. Like that's insane now that I think about it, right? I mean, because they weren't even paying me. It wasn't like I was being paid. Um, But a month after he died, he was alive for 29 days and maybe two or three weeks, I stayed home because I had a C-section. And then I went back to work for another year. Mm. Um, But that did not work because see, when you're in television news, you have to 
I, I at least I did. I had this ability to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. I could keep the because we're the gatekeepers of all the world's worst news. And then we decide in 30 minute increments, what we're going to deliver to our audience. Right. Mm. So for eight hours, I'm taking it all in and I'm only putting it out, you know, in 30 minute increments. Mm. So that compounds over 15 years. Right. But I had this ability to just kind of shut that off, close that door and come home and be mom, be wife, be Sherry. Mm -hmm. That broke, that mechanism broke after I lost my son. Wow. No, no, I I will say that anymore. I will say I've thought uh, all the time, uh, quite often about newscasters delivering horrific news Mm -hmm. um, and even great news. You know, what gets me the most is the altruistic acts, you know, acts of kindness and it gets me every time. But all of that, but to be able to deliver it and keep the emotions in check. It's so it's so hard for me. I I admire it. it because I think. I think I did Toastmasters a few years back and I tried doing the whole thing about why you should rescue dogs and talking about the dogs I rescued. And I challenged myself because I said, because I've seen other people deliver unbelievable kind of news like that with complete composure. And it's because the mission is greater than them and their ego. And so I challenged myself at this Toastmasters to deliver this. I couldn't even rehearse it without crying. Mm -hmm. And I didn't deliver it without crying either. So my ego and don't people connect to humanity. I guess, but I still think if mission is bigger than you, right? That's how you do it. I I do, but I still tear up when I talk about my son because that was my son. I get that. That's my heart. You know, I don't ball, but I I allow that. That's that. uh, You know, but but when I was delivering the news, literally, I would start crying. Yeah, you mean after your son passed? Yeah, after my son died. Or I'd go through the scripts and I'd say, I can read this, I can't read that. I can read this and that. And I was getting frustrated. And I think that it was because I wasn't dealing with my grief. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't, I put it, I always say I put it on the back burner. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. And then we don't know how to though, you know? Yeah. But that changed for me. Yeah. What did did you have something of whether acute or mild, but a nervous breakdown? No. Okay. Okay. No, I did not. You were saying something about when something is is bigger than you. I had a three year old at home. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, I had a three year old at home, so that's why I put it on the back burner because mm-hmm. this was a very complicated time uh, for my family. Uh, back then, it was in 1999. The um, neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU, um, that's what that's what it is for short. They did not allow um, children under 12 to be in there. So um, my son never got to see his brother ever. Oh, that's sad. And um, never even got to see his brother, even when we got called that he was dying. You know, he never got to see him. So therefore, we never took him to the funeral because it would have just, it, it, it was just a very confusing time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so he sees mommy pregnant. He thinks there's supposed to be baby. There isn't a baby. And now mommy is just incredibly sad. I was very, very conscientious. I did not want my son's earliest memories because that's about the time you start remembering your mm-hmm. life. And I didn't want it to be of his mom in, a, in the throes of grief 
grieving for a son that she didn't have when she had one right in front of her face. It would write on him forever. Very conscientious. So a lot of times when those waves would come, I would just not now, not now, not now. So your body hangs on to that grief. So Mm -hmm. let me tell you what happened on the eve of Mother's Day. I'm sleeping. The next morning is Mother's Day and I sneeze in my sleep and a disc explodes in my back. And what I've learned is that a lot of mothers hold grief in their back. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Can you explain that a little more? I'm not sure what happened. here. Your body, grieving is a whole body experience, right? And the more we try to deny our emotions, the more we try to not address them, the more we try to ignore it and move on with life. um, It has to go somewhere. If it's mm-hmm. not coming out and flowing through you, it just stays locked inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you have brain fog, which is probably why I didn't make great decisions and sure. going back to work, you know, immediately. Sure. Um, you're in survival mode. You are in literal survival mode. Um, you've been traumatized in some cases, you know, especially <laughs> if it's a, mine wasn't a sudden death, but we still had hope that he would be alive. We were never given a terminal diagnosis ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is different because if you're given a terminal diagnosis, that's something that's called um, anticipatory grief. So you're anticipating is today yeah. going to be the day you prepare yourself. You know what I mean? Like, and so mm-hmm. you're, you're mentally, emotionally trying to prepare. So you're grieving all along, but mm-hmm. we weren't grieving, you know um, we were hopeful. Right. And so it was just, it's very different. So you're, it's, it's emotional, it's spiritual and it's physical and you have to move it all through your body. Okay. And so when you had this episode, when you sneezed at night, what physically, what happened there? Or was it a mental awakening? Oh no, it exploded and I had emergency surgery. Oh my God. <laughs> oh And God. so it's like, yeah. Okay. The dam broke. The dam. Wow. How did that surgery go? Messing with your back always like Yeah. Ooh. Actually, um, it was it it's been wonderful. I mean, I'm I'm dealing with some issues now just simply because of COVID and sitting so long. Um, but it's it's and it it might be because there's a weakness on one side of my back because of that surgery, mm-hmm. but literally that surgery, um, it was a lifesaver. Wow. Okay. Now how long uh how long after the passing of your baby did, was that? I think it was about a, a little over a year. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did you get moved so much that you wrote this book? And in fact, you developed courses too. Yes. Um, well, so there's this, there's a lot of school of thought around grief. And I, I have to go back a little bit before we go forward that um, there's a hierarchy of grief, losing a child being the highest rung, most painful, most difficult to deal with in Mm -hmm. life, okay? So these are the things that my husband and I were told by therapists, um, clergy, uh, research that we've done, reading in books, support groups, whatnot. And so we were also told that, you know, it will ease in time. And we were also told that um, it will just be with you forever for a lifetime. And see, the, the pain was so excruciating that I just could not simply accept that. 
it, it was almost like I was, I was given a death sentence when I heard that something inside of my soul went, no, I, I can't, I can't live like this the rest of my I life. I get so, that. Yeah. Um, and so this is why I think this is so destructful for destructful. Is that a word to, for people to hear, especially when you're new to grief and you're in that acute pain and you're in that acute state of pain to hear that this will be with you. The rest of your life is almost like you've been given a prison sentence, right? Yeah, I totally get that. And that's how I felt. And I knew deep in my soul that I did that. I, I did not want that. Now it wasn't, that I was seeking um, to kill myself or anything like that. Like I could never live this way. I was always thinking, I, I just, I can't accept that, but it got to a certain point, went to counseling, went through a support group, um, oh. got to a certain level and just thought, okay, this is what it is. This is what it is. This is as good as it gets. Oh, I see. I would have thought, I didn't want to interrupt you, but when they were telling you that some people are telling you you're going to live with this forever, other people say it'll dissipate in time. I would have said one thing, one thing only, you need to get with a support group where it's cathartic, where other people are, know what you're going through. That I would have started it ended right there. Well, but you have to be careful when you find a support group. See, because mm -hmm. that's the first thing I realized when we lost Brandon. Oh my gosh, we are we've been in we're, we're now a member of a club that we never even wanted to be in That's like a good point. i don't want to be in this club but you're you're so grateful there are other members yeah <laughs> because no one else can understand to the depth of what you do mm -hmm. now that being said that is very helpful and people can be very helpful the problem i have with this is that there has to be a way to move you through. You see, because we were in this wonderful support group, we had these wonderful people that were there that, you know, like they understood, they connected with us. But then a month later, new grievers would come in and then their pain compounded yours. And then you're telling mm. your story again and going through that grief. Okay. And so it came like about 18 months through that process where I told my husband, I don't want to go back. And he said, why? I said, because... I walk in there and I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. And then I leave and I'm back right where I started. And yeah. I just don't want to rehash that pain. I, I need to graduate. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. problem was, is that I needed someone to help me step back into my life mm. and deal with that guilt and deal with the fear and what other people are thinking and all the head trash that goes on with all of that. The grief part, I was I was making headway. I needed to graduate to something else. Okay, so um, how did, you, how did so, you take those steps? Yeah, so I couldn't find it, but I left. Hmm. So a lot of those issues really weren't resolved. And so grief seeped back in. But it, like I said, I just, I, this, is what, this is my life. I have to live with it, you know, it is. Yeah. So that's why I had to take you back before I got to this. Totally point, get it. Okay? Yeah. So basically, this is how I lived. And then um, my son was about two years away from graduating high school. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm losing my other son, but in a whole different way. Loss. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the grief kept creeping back in. 
And so what I didn't say back then is that there are some people that you, like you said, you're in this club, you don't, you don't know who, you don't know how you got there, but you're, you're, you're so glad there are other members. You don't want to be there. Um, and people will surprise you when you're going through grief because, mm-hmm. um, there are people that come out of the woodwork that you never really even knew. They were just mere acquaintances that literally become your angels and saints. And then there are other people who were, you know, like your bestie. And um, that happened to me. And I thought she was going to call me. She called me after he died. And I thought she was going to say, okay, I got a sitter. Hold on, hang tight. I'll be there. And um, instead, what I heard was, I can't do this. And she hung up the phone and I didn't hear from her again until six years later. She okay. called me back and she was like, Hey, you've been on my mind. Just thought I'd catch up, see what's going on. No mention of my son, no mention of my grief, no mention, just like, okay, let's pick up where we left off. Let's go. And I thought we don't get to do that anymore. And so That's for sure, six years had passed in that pain of that abandonment and that kind of grief. And two of my husband's friends did the same thing with him. Wow. Um, got me really curious of what was that about? Why did that happen? And I, I started searching that. for a book of, wow, if they knew what to do or say to help us, maybe they were too scared. Maybe they didn't know what to say. Maybe they were waiting, you know, maybe they didn't want to mess it up. Maybe they didn't want to hurt our feelings. I don't know. But they backed out of our lives instead of stepped out in love. I could so say with guys. Was, yeah. Huh? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. With guys, I could see it more uh more clearly because some guys are just your drinking buddies and you think they're your friends and but a lot of guys can be your friends but don't know how to deal with another guy with that emotion they just don't well women either all three of these people were in our wedding so they were very very close Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like you know Uh, they were drinking buddies um but yes, you're right. You're right. I've got, there are three reasons that I, I, you know, have come up with that I put in the book. And so as I was looking, um, I kept looking for a book on this. I don't know if I was going to send it to her. I don't know. But every time I kept looking uh, for the book, I would get this calling and it would say, Sherry, you're not going to find it. If you want this book, then you need to create it you need to write it so that was the first i call them spirit strikes mm-hmm. that was the first strike uh spirit strike that i was called to write this book so i thought i'm not an author i, I don't you know and i'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination ah but i was a reporter and i can interview people and so i searched out people from all walks of life who have had the same thing happen to them whether it was through the death of someone they loved or once they got divorced and they lost friends or family members or they lost their job or they were diagnosed with cancer oh it's big with cancer it's almost like people feel like it's contagious um and i found this group of people um And I asked them, you know, what did your friends and family do to lift you up and carry you through and support you and make you feel loved and comforted and supported through this most difficult chapter of your life? And that is what the whole basis of the book was, is that I wanted to make it easy for people so that they didn't have to lose their relationships. They didn't have to lose their friendships. They could strengthen that bond instead of be afraid of it. 
Last week, I interviewed Dr. Heather Brown, and she's a relationship and grief counselor. She And uh, really, really um, intuitive, relatable, down to earth. And she lost her husband at 51 and described losing some friends because they didn't know how to deal with it either. And in fact, one telling her, a woman friend telling her, you're young, you're pretty, you're good. <laughs> and she's like, do you see this body back here? And um, so how we don't know what to say. Right. And but she said another friend and this chokes me up. I'll have a hard time saying it. Another friend drove three hours every week to come and spend three hours with her. Make sure they had food. They had clean clothes and things like that, because she's like, I, I don't care about any of that. Her and her two children, they're not hungry. They don't care if they have clean clothes and all that. And this, and she would do that, uh, I think, for six, eight weeks, I think. That's, that's how you handle it. Show up. Show you show up. up. You yeah. show up. Yeah. And there's so many different ways that you can show up. You know, um, that was, that was comfort. That was good for her. But so that is, it's scared. Your pain sometimes scares someone to into yes. paralyzing. Right. right. Um, and, and we say these things to make us feel better. And so I, I always tell people, listen, and I tell grievers this too, what was the intent of their heart? Look at their heart because we're bad at this because we don't do it. We avoid things that make us feel uncomfortable, which exactly. is saying words and actions and, 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 and completing actions that actually serve someone's broken heart and suffering. You know, we want, we, we live our lives to either uh, move towards enjoyment or back away from pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, when we see someone else in pain and suffering, <laughs> So that that's, you know, just connect to that. It's not about you. It's about them. And, and also to the grievers, look at their heart. They're awkward at this and it's yeah. not their fault. We can get better at it. We can always choose to get better at this book helps you get better at it. Oh, that's so good to hear. How about, how does it tie in with your course that I'm sure that came after? Yeah. I, well, I so um, I, I had the idea for the book, wrote the book, and then decided I wanted to self-publish, which takes a lot of money. Let's talk about um, that a little bit. And the I challenges was a four-time radio talk show host. And I'm like, what am I going to do to earn this money? So I started a, a small business and I hired a business coach. And he, <laughs> this is a bizarre story. He asked me after like our second or third um, session, do you know what a clairaudient is? A what? A clairaudient. And I said, I do not. He said, do you know what a clairvoyant is? And I said, oh, yes, I know. He says, a clairvoyant sees things. Clairaudient hears things. Hmm. And I'm a clairaudient. And if you are open to receiving what I'm hearing, um, I would like to share it with you. And I'm only sharing it with you because every time I'm with you, I hear this. And the only way that I will stop hearing it is if I tell you what it's telling me. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah. So are you open to hearing this? Okay. <laughs> and he said to me, you can't progress in anything else in your life any further than you are until you deal with your grief. Wow. And I went, what? Who have you been talking to? 
because this guy was in California, in Beverly oh. Hills. Oh. Um, I was doing this uh, coaching over the phone. I said, who were you talking to? He said, what do you mean? Because I didn't have a website. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any of this stuff. And I've never posted a picture of my son, Brandon, ever posted a picture of him um, on social media. So you can't find one. Um, and he said, I'm a clear, I, I, I heard this. I don't know. I don't know anything about your story. I just heard that message. So then I opened up and he told me about a grief coach, a friend of his that was a grief coach. So this is how the book ties into what I'm doing now, because this grief coach changed my life because of this grief coach. I was able to be successful in this business. I was able to, um, find an editor who, um, wrote, um, three, three or no, five of the uh, chicken soup for the soul books. And she edited my book. And then she led me to, you know, it was just like this door opened, this door opened, this door mm -hmm, opened. Mm -hmm. Then I was being called to speak and that it just started snowballing because I finally healed my grief. Wow. That's a really great story. And I'm going to reach back into my archives in my brain, like 15, 20 years ago, I used to uh, follow Dr. Joe Vitale a lot. They call him Mr. Mm -hmm. Fire. You know of him? Mm -hmm. But he he was involved with the secret that yes. the project and all that. And he had an answer to it it's after the secret came out, got huge. And then some people are like, hey, my life never changed. Um, he had a follow up to it where he said and it was all about it's because you're not clear. And he explained how whatever obstacles are in your life, probably mentally, you need to address them and clear them. And that's what just went on with you there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I was feeling called again to, to go into this, but I was afraid of other people's pain because of what it, you know, how it was in the, all those years in the, in the support group. I, I don't know if I can, yeah. you know, I want, I want you in this, I kept, I kept trying to be an inspirational speaker for women in general which mm -hmm. I still am, but all the opportunities were coming in the world of grief. And I'm like, God, what's this about? Like, what? I don't understand this. You know that I am so empathetic that I attach to other people's pain. And again, a spirit strike came and said, I don't want you focused. Your focus isn't on the pain, their pain. Your focus is shining the light on hope and healing. You yes. are to be like the guide. You are supposed to say, I have been here. I have traveled through. Here is the light. Here is the way. Let's go. I love this. Graduating this is... grief is. Let's go. Come on. Are you I've... ready? You have to be ready. If you're not ready, I can't. I, you know, a lot of people, I need you to talk to my mom. I need you to talk to my sister. You, they, they just want that. You have to choose it. You have to choose it. And I think I chose it way back then. I just didn't have a guide. There you go. Everything that was missing in your own uh, therapy or clinical, mm -hmm. what did you call that? The group, yeah. the group stuff. Yeah. 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 So they say that you often create those things that you need, yeah. that you needed. That's that's right. Okay. So that's what I do now. How I, long I ago was that people. when mm -hmm. you started the course? How long ago was that? No. Um, I started at age 50. Um, that's uh, when I took care of my grief. I am now 60. And, um, 
And so this has been a work in progress for the last 10 years because I dealt with the issue. I totally reinvented my life after age 50. I ended up leaving my radio career to focus solely on my small business and this. And now I'm being called this year. I started actually at the end of last year that the small business has to take the backseat. This is, this is my path. This is where I'm being directed. That's interesting. Okay. So I interviewed a super interesting guy a few months back, Bob Ginsburg. He was featured on a Netflix special called Afterlife. He lost his daughter tragically at, in her teens, I would say late teens, I think. And he couldn't deal with it. And he was a hardcore skeptic of any thing about afterlife and, and stuff like that. But it this changed him. He then went on a pursuit about what happens after you die? Are you still, is there something still there? And because he couldn't accept the fact that there was nothing, no connection. And so he started seeking out mediums and things like that. We talked a lot about that. And he then, much like yourself, developed retreats and courses for people to help them deal with their grief. And even he now certifies mediums because that was such a all over the place kind of a thing. And only about 10% actually move through and get certification with him. And many of them join him on these retreats where these grieving people, couples, mothers, fathers, uh, can get some catharsis with a feeling that they're reaching out to their loved one, they're deceased. Do you do anything along those lines? with uh, your counseling or have any beliefs in it? Oh, I mean, I, I, I never thought it was the end. I just thought it was, was the transition. Same here. I never I've... thought it was the end. Um, I'm a big, like Wayne Dyer. I Same absolutely here. adore. Um, <laughs> this is where I'm going to get teary. It's um, okay. He's, he, um, he helped me a lot with this. Um, he says he has no use for grief, but I, I literally feel like my, um, I have a beautiful story to tell you if you have, if you have the time, we got um, all the time in the world. I got a, my husband and I got a card after my son died and it was from a woman who was a neighbor of my in-laws. And she said, um, it said something, uh, to the effect of, you know, your son in his brief life um, brought so many people to their knees to God on his behalf that he's probably brought more people in his short life than most people have in years of living and how blessed you were to be his parents. And that card literally changed my life because I thought he, whatever he was called to do on this earth. He did it. And then he was called back. Yeah. And if he could do that without leaving an icy NICU, mm -hmm. without anyone meeting him, without him accomplishing any goals, without him doing anything, just but being him, him, um, then what was I, because I was almost 38 at the time, what was I doing with my life? How was I living my life? Mm -hmm. So it caused me to take a look at the impact. So that's why I always say 
every life matters and yeah. every life makes an impact. And Brandon lived 29 days, but his life is still impacting people today. And so I want to make sure that I live my life so that it can impact as many people as possible. So that card changed my life yeah. in that way. But it also adds credence to my book that the smallest sentence and reach out of love and hope can be all that you need to do to change someone's life, to change it around for them, to, to be that spark to say, oh, wow, I am his mother. How proud I am to be his mother. And I want to live my life now to honor that yeah. gift that was given to me. You know what you just answered? The most confounding question probably of mankind. And that is the people that will say, how can there be a God if he would let a baby die? Yeah. You just answered it. Yeah. Yeah. But we have a choice. It would have been so easy to, you know, like people say, you're the strongest person I know. I could never get back up. I could never get back up. Um, you have a choice. I, I, I knew that I did not want to stay there. I always tell people you can lay and if you lay, you decay. Yeah. You know, and I had a story. I, I befriended a woman who lost her daughter in a flood and they couldn't find her body for, for days. And they finally found her body. And then like three years later, I'm doing another story on the news. And it's about a woman who was found dead at the riverbank. And it was this mother who took her own life oh. at the place where they pulled her daughter out of the river. And I remember when Brandon died, the first thought that came to my mind is I can't be her. I will mm. not be her. So we live our lives and it impacts people. It, you just have to decide, you know, you have to really think about that. I did not want to be her. That was not an option for me. So how do I move through this? I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to take my life. I don't want to live in this constant state of despair. So mm -hmm. I've got to choose something different. But it's easy to be there because everyone is, oh, 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 how could you get back up? Of course you lost your child. I could never yeah. live if I lost. And I could have stayed there, but I did not want to be defined as that. I don't define myself as a grieving mom. I say bereaved mom or that I lost my son because Brandon's life and death, although it is a part of my life, it is a painful chapter, but I get to continue to write these chapters afterwards. Everybody does. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense in the world because even when you went back to the group classes that you started, there was 18 months later, you're like, I don't want to make this my identity. No. You had to graduate. No. And uh, right. that could just envelop you. You know, at that point, you're just accepting depression as a way of life rather than moving on and making something from your son's death. And you made something from that. You took the actually, I don't want to say a gift, but you were given a chance to make a choice on what to do with it. And you took a brave choice about moving forward. Thank you. Um, you know, it's a, and sometimes I think, well, is there any other choice? I realize, yes, there is. 
Yes, there is. <laughs> there is a choice and many people won't choose it. I think that's the most frustrating part for me. I truly believe that each of us um, were born um, to make a difference, to make an impact, to have an impact. We don't have to necessarily have a purpose, but we can live every moment with purpose or on purpose. And, um, and to not choose to move through this because these are the things that can truly transform your life. I, I truly believe we are spiritual beings in a human body, having a human experience. And Agreed. These things that transform us the most. This, this is like, this is your PhD in life school. It's a test. Yeah. Pass or fail. This, right. Agreed. Gary Zukov uses the word life school yeah. a lot. Do you know yeah. Gary Zukov? Mm -hmm. He made a big impact on me. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you about your spirituality beliefs? Sure. Divulge what you like, keep what you do. <laughs> I People are sensitive about it. Catholic. And I still identify as Catholic. Um, the mystical side of Catholicism. Um, the mystery, the spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I remember... Um, when Brandon was, uh, I, I, I was like, I want him to be baptized at birth. Like when he was born, I, there was a team of surgeons there. I knew that he was going to be intubated immediately, that he was not going to be crying. Um, we didn't, you know, like they were going to whisk him away. And I was like, he needs to be baptized. Like I, like I was so afraid to have him not baptized. So they baptized him with a seashell, a nurse did, and they gave oh. me that seashell. So that's um, because he has so few belongings. <laughs> that's a very special because I didn't even oh, yeah. buy him clothes. He was sure. buried in my son, my older son's um, baptismal outfit. Because I didn't buy him clothes because I was so afraid. I was afraid that would jinx it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, the few possessions that I have are in a shadow box. That's the one thing I would save if I was in a fire. But anyhow, um, so it started out as that, and then it started as a frantic, I have to live a perfect life if I ever want to see him again. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. And I became very hard on myself, um, very unforgiving. Um, I have since changed my beliefs because God is love. Um, yeah. And there is nothing that will keep me separated. I keep myself separated from God. God doesn't ever separate himself from us. Um, it's so funny because I have a priest that's been on an episode of my, uh, one or two episodes of my podcast who literally, when people die sudden deaths, they contact him in his sleep because they don't know where they are and they need a way to cross over. And so he helps find them guides to cross over. Um, what is the name of your podcast? Um, graduating Grief. Apple, Google Pod, uh, on all Apple, Spotify, iHeart app, all of them. Okay, not video though. Um, well, I I I have them all video recorded. I'm going to upload them probably to. Um, I, I guess you can upload them now to Spotify. So I'm going to yes. do that in yeah. YouTube. Yes. But anyway, so I've become much more spiritually connected, um, and. Uh, last year, as I, you know, and I, I try to be obedient. I, I, I try to really listen to that 
inner voice, that divine calling. And so um, when it was calling me into further into the grief and I had decided I'm going to do the graduating grief Academy designed to meet grievers where they are and lead them always towards hope and healing, whether it's acute grief or it's stuck grief or it's transformational living or whether it's just finding joy again in your life, that it's okay. It's, it's a progression, right? Um, I decided, yes, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I think that it's healthy and people need to know this. And, um, the year that I launched it, um, I lost my dog who was like my substitute baby. I know all about that, um, which will be two years next week. Um, then my dad went into the hospital for six weeks and he died two days after my birthday. And then four months later, my best friend just went to take a nap and never woke up. It's a good All way these to go. things happen. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm creating something to heal others. And look what's happening to me. Um, but I used those tools to help me through them, help me through that. And I think that that's where it's so important that people can see me and how I'm living and honoring those moments and saying, you know what, just because you graduated your grief and you're not living in that pain of suffering, I want to help build you up strong enough. So when those waves of emotion come over, you can still be standing. Yeah. It doesn't knock you off your feet and have you struggling to find breath and air and survive that you can say, I can withstand this. I'm just human and that's human emotion. So, um, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a progression of, of getting to this space. Um, but almost re having to realize why I'm there Mm -hmm. because and, and being relatable. I'm now no longer 23 years removed from painful chapters. I, it's it's fresh again. It's We're fresh at again. that age. We're all yeah. facing it on a regular basis to some extent. Yeah. yeah. And the beauty is, is what I teach you, the tools I give you, you can use moving forward on anything. Move, use the same process to move through that and any of the things in your past that you haven't healed from, you could go back and you can use these tools and move through that. Hey, do you have an audio version of that book? Of, of how can I help? Yes. Yes. Um, I do not. I, and the thing is, is that I've had the opportunity and people like, I, I feel I should be the one that does it. Oh, for sure. I should do the audio sure. version of the book. And um, I just, I, I haven't, I, I I just haven't looked into it enough. I'm in the process of contemplating whether I want to um, write another book, the whole graduating mm. grief philosophy. Mm. Um, I'm sure that since writing your book and developing your course and conducting your course, that it has evolved and transformed. You You do have another book in you, I'm sure. Yes, but that's a, oh boy. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know... Uh, it's all right. I'm open to it all. I'm open to it all. Well, I I haven't looked up the statistics, but I would bet you that you would open up a uh, 65% more of an audience. If you do the audio, people are just so used to it now and yes. we're listening to podcasts and stuff. So we don't want to sit around and <laughs> well, I will tell you the, one of the main reasons why is that it's a go-to guide for helping loved ones through their difficulties. So basically it, 
tells my story at the beginning as to why I wrote the book. And then it goes into each chapter, death, divorce, you know, um, diagnosis, job loss, whatever. And it intertwines people's stories of what has happened to them. But then it's like compiling a list. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can say. Here's what's helpful. Here's what's not so helpful. So, and, and, and then there's room to make notes. So really it's, it's, it's purpose is almost like a workbook Yes. more than it is, you know, an instructor. Well, I guess it is an instructional manual, so to speak. I guess it could be. I've always just thought, I don't know if people would enjoy listening to it. No, I understand. How did you explain it? It's more like a workbook, but I have listened to workbooks where people say, yeah. okay, now shut this off and take these notes, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. write out these things. <laughs> I still would encourage you just because I think you're going to open up to more of an audience uh, than you already have, because I know how I am and a lot of other people. Uh what kind of, um, if we want to call it success stories, but what kind of stories do you have about people that have gone through your course? I recently, I, I, I always thought that I was going to be working with women and that's where I feel like I have a heart, but a man contacted me and asked me um, if I would coach him through it. Oh man, I, I usually work with women, right? Um, working with this man, I was, uh, I, it was probably one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Hmm, how so? Because he was willing to do the work, willing to do the hard work. He didn't shy away from it. And he would come back like he, like I was expecting great results after, you know, the eight weeks that of our time together. But after week one, he came in and he was smiling. Wow. Um, and after week two, he was like, I haven't, uh, you know, he was describing things that were happening and that's not happening anymore. Like, I, 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 I can't even believe this. And by week three, he's like, you are changing my life. Wow. You, you've changed my life. And I'm like, I ha I didn't change your life. The work has changed your life. You committing to the process and doing the work has changed your life. But thank you. I appreciate that. But it was so exciting that to see that if you commit to doing what I'm guiding you to do, it will work for you. I, I was so committed to this process when I did it. I was all in, 100% all in. And that just solidified it. If you are all in in this process, it will change your life because it changed mine. And I saw that happen with him. Um, also, what is, has um, surprised me about this, um, I worked with a woman who came to me because she just her son just died, right? And when we came in and we started doing our work together, we realized that sometimes what you come in with and what you need to heal are not the same thing. She needed to heal a grief from 20 years earlier because grief compounds if you don't handle it correctly. Yes. And this was a significant loss 20 years earlier that made it unbearable for her son. So we had to heal that first. Right. You sound like a clinical therapist. You really <laughs> do. You talk about doing the hard work. You talk about your process and even the way you're talking about dealing with your clients. It sounds like you've gone through, you know what? It's going to say, it sounds like you've gone through 15 years of training, but haven't you? 
Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I have. I've walked this walk. I've walked this path. I do feel that there's a lot of divine guidance with it. I, I pray I before so. every session to just be a channel, a conduit, right? It's not, that's why I say it's not me. I was chosen to do this work, but it's not me. It was one of the most meaningful things that one of the surgeons said to me when they were, um, you know, talking to me um, when, when Brandon was in the hospital is that I, you know, like God works through me. I'm God's hands, but I'm not God. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, and that was very meaningful to me. And I feel like the same thing is that, you know, if you really truly are a spiritual person, then in order to do God's work, it has to be done through us. God doesn't have arms and legs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a heart. You know what I mean? Like we are the vessels through which this divine goodness and love works. And if we open ourselves to that, we can transform not just our life, but the life of others. That's why I say uh, what we all have a choice of how we live our lives because it's going to make an impact either way, either negative impact on the world or a positive impact on the world, a healing uh, impact on the world or something that causes pain and suffering. I'd like to just discuss this a little bit. I say on here a lot, I've, I've had re reviews, um, on Apple reviews where, Hey, really like these guys. They should sure talk about God a lot though. And, uh, <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, and I, I want to reiterate, I am not religious, but I believe in a higher power. I know we're all made of energy. I know everything's made of energy yeah. and it vibrates at a certain freaking frequency. And you want to try to get that as high as possible. So I don't want you to shy away from what Sherry's talking about. Because if you confuse it with something just religious, I think though, Sherry, don't you have to just to simply accept the fact that there's a higher power? Oh gosh, yes. Um, I, I do. I've always known it and always felt connected to it, though, so, even from my earliest, earliest, earliest I days. Didn't always feel connected to it. No, but I do now. I know that everything's made of energy, and I'm part of it everything that every object I see in front of me and yeah. every person. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I, I call it God, but I, whatever you yeah. call it, right. call it whatever you want. It's, um, but I, yes. And, um, and, and, and it's important to me and I've always, that's, I think the next realm is that I'm not going to mince words anymore. You know, I'm not talking from a religious perspective. I'm not talking about from a religious perspective. There are some things in my religion and all religions I just don't agree with. Mm -hmm. God loves everyone. It's not exclusionary. Grace is given to everyone. You know what I mean? Like I totally so, know what you mean. Uh, it's not exclusionary. And we build too much hate around trying to be right in this. There you go. Well <laughs> said. Well said. Yeah. And then, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of that, uh, you had me thinking about this for a while, about the concept of joy. There's, I want to ask you on one hand, how long did it take you to feel moments of joy again during your process? And on the other, isn't there something about having to find a way to let yourself feel joy again? Because you don't think yeah. you deserve it. Is uh, that, is that correct? Yes, absolutely correct. And um, 
you know, it's, it's almost like the first time that you laugh yeah, after yeah. that you, it Guilty. startles you. Um, I, re, you know, like, I don't remember specific. I remember the feeling though, of I shouldn't be doing this. How could I be laughing when, you know, and I remember at specifically being like, there are things in life that this is an important, why are you doing this? Like, I remember being in the hospital and thinking about losing my baby weight while my son is dying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how could you even go there? Like I was chastising myself for that, right? Like, so there are these things that happen in your life that like, none of these things matter, but yet for somehow they they creep in. And so that's the first thing of like, you can't be doing that. Mm -hmm. You just lost your son. And so you start that chastising, right? Sure. Then, then you, then you move to, I do want to laugh again and it feels good to laugh again, but what are other people thinking about, right. you know, because then we worry about, and then they say, who are they? They say you shouldn't make any major changes within the first thing. They say that you should, you know, well, who's they, right? I can say that now, but then I was very, I wanted to make sure I was doing everything right. Yeah, I'm a rule follower, right? There are no rules to grief. That's the problem. You didn't have a structure. You yeah. Know? And so yeah. you just feel like out to sea. And the funny thing is you said you feel connected to everything. You you feel connected to a higher power. Every time I go through grief, I have noticed this about myself. I feel more disconnected than I ever have. And I have to find my way back to source. I have to find my way back to God. He's not abandoned me. I just have sealed myself off from him do you do it through prayer what what how do you do it um i lose the ability to pray too hmm? i lose the ability to pray i don't know how oh to, i don't when, know how to pray yeah like when you're lost in grief and yeah guilt and yeah pain. because your mind is everywhere and it's trying you know it's it's trying this is what happens it's trying to make sense of the senseless yeah Yep, yep. And oh my gosh, your brain and your ego can't handle that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> right? No, for sure. And no, you just trying to find that inroad. I, I want the answers. I want the that, 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 that. And um, yeah. And so I still, you know, I, I'm not perf perfect in this at all. Um, but yeah. So, so yes, finding your joy, finding your joy. Like I remember saying last year in the midst of all of this um, grief, it, I told my friend, I just want to be able to be happy again before I die. Wow. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I realized um that that is, a, there's still a part of me that needs that healing and that love. And I've probably not been connecting to that love. Um, and so um, long story short, I was, I was too connected to trying to take care of my mother after my dad died, that I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm. So I had to step back. Oh, sure. That. So I find my joy in um many things in fact i have um i'm gonna move my camera right here you can see right here i have a list of things that make me feel good you feel oh. fill that out when you're in a good mood right right and so when you are not when you're disconnected from that joy 
you can go to your list that you created and you can do something on that list because you know it connects you back to that joy. I like it. Oh, Sherry, it's so interesting. Let's talk about getting involved with your course right now. How does someone get started? What should they expect from it? And about how long does it last? And if you want to talk pricing, that's up to you. Oh, well, I offer I offer two things. Uh, first is self-guided. Okay. This is for the acute griever. Mm. This is for the person that doesn't want to talk to anyone else. This is for the person that is still in so much pain and suffering. They want to get some relief. They just don't know how. Okay. So I used to send some of the books that I thought were very good and I would send them to other grievers, totally forgetting that you get this intense brain fog and you are unable to concentrate. And so you can't retain a lot of what you read. These books are wonderful, but in the acute stages of grief, they are not helpful, but you can push play. Right. Oh, yeah. Why are you laughing? Well, I, I just think it's really funny that, uh, there you are giving them the best education that you possibly yes. can get, but you're understanding that it's not going in. I, I, I yeah. find that I, I find it ironic. Yeah. You, well, you I didn't, I, I stopped doing it once I realized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, Oh, but they can press play and they can hear me and they can see me and I'm talking to them and I'm explaining, this is what's happening. This is what's happening inside your heart and in your brain and in your body. Here's how we can move it through. Let's let get let's journal a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I want here's how you can process these feelings, these emotions, this pain. This is why you're feeling so angry. Hey, let's you know what really helps being creative. Let's get back to creativity. That can help you forget for a while. That can help you connect to something that makes you feel good. And you can have something beautiful in the end. You know, um, let's help get you connected back to spirit. So I, it has a workbook, um, but it's me speaking to you. And you can just watch me and listen and then watch me again. And maybe you'll feel like doing it, right? Um, and maybe that's just enough. You know, um, but if it's not enough, right, then we move to the sophomore, that's a freshman level, that's self-guide. Then we go to, you know what? I want to move through. I want to complete this relationship I have with grief. I want to start living again. So this is my healing journey. It's eight weeks. We begin together. We graduate together. We complete our relationship with grief. We reorganize a life we didn't ask to live. I don't want to live this way. I know you don't want to live this way. I understand that. But this is the life you have. So now we've got to design it in a way that works best for you. What's going to stay? What's going to leave? Who's going to be there? Who's not going to be there? What is it that you need to move forward in the best manner for you? This is what I help people do. Right? Then, um, and that's eight weeks. And that's why it's starting January 10th. I'm starting another um, another session January 10th that will end February So these 20th. are live sessions. These are like webinars. Because I thought yes, they were Well, I do. I do in person. But this one is, we all meet on Zoom. Okay. And we have the support of one another. But the, the beauty of this is, because grievers have to tell their story. Mm-hmm. They have to process their story. Where people get stuck in their grief is that they're still telling their story three, four, 10, 
15 years down the road, oh, right? We tell our story at the beginning and we transform and change that story towards the end. We don't ever revisit that again hmm. with each hmm. other. It evolves. Now we've shared it. Everyone knows where we are, what we're about. Now, okay, how do we heal this? How do we move through? How do we process this? What needs to be finished? What needs to be said? What needs to be done or undone? What needs to happen to complete this once and for all? And let's start now looking forward to living. Wow. It's all that, forward motion. That's good stuff. That's valuable. Do you follow up with the, um, I imagine that there's eight week, uh, it's an eight week thing, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you have any follow up like a uh, Facebook groups or something like that? Well, I have the graduating grief, loving your life after loss group. And then nice. I have an all things awesome group where it is transformation, where it's like, okay, these people want to see the good things in life and enjoy the good things in life. And, um, and then, you know, that that's, I offer workshops, um, envision workshops. Uh, oh. That's in the junior level, my transformation journey. And then the senior level is journey to joy. And I haven't taken anyone there yet, but this is literally, like you were talking about, this is literally doing things for the sake of joy. Yes. Just joy. Because we've already given our, I, I have everyone right I I grant everyone the permission they need to heal. Because yeah. sometimes we can't grant ourselves, but by the end of the course, you write your own permission slip. You uh, sign your own permission slip for your healing and for your forward motion. That's good stuff, Sherry. You're a yeah. special person. Where can they find you to get started? Graduatinggrief.com. That is where it, it all is. Everything, if you look graduating grief, graduating grief podcast graduatinggrief.com and the graduating grief um facebook group it's graduating grief living and loving your life after loss that's the most important part i like the alliteration on that too yeah living and loving your life after loss we live it we can love our life again and it's okay right it is okay we're only given one you know i always say um Barry, it took me 13 years to get to this point i don't yeah. want it to take anyone one minute longer than it needs to take it if they're ready to go i'm ready to get them there right That's great. if you're ready to go it's go time let's go i i coach people individually i coach people in group the beauty of the group is that you have a community of people that start at the you know together and graduate together and none of them make each other feel guilty for wanting to choose life and health because you go into these online grief groups and everyone wants just to pull you back into the pain. They want to yes. pull, they feed the pain. We feed the hope and healing. That's we allow the pain, but we feed the hope and healing. I'm so I'm glad that we got together this week. We talked a little bit via email and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, we did the sad thing last yeah. time. And I really want to talk about inspiration and transformation. You're like, perfect, perfect. And you cannot not talk about the sadness of this. That is, that's the premise of it. But <laughs> the transformation and inspiration, the, the inspiration that you've shared here and hope, hope, so much hope. 
Yes. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. And guys, I want to just mention, if you want more of this, go to over50startingover.com. Sign up there. You'll get it all to your email box as it happens. Sherry, thank you so much for being with us. And um, I'm going to plug your book. And I encourage everybody to seek you out at graduatinggrief.com. Barry, it was a delight to talk with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.